Welcome to another edition of Out of the Box Sunday School. I am your host, Takia Evans. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen in today. And our lesson is entitled, An Attitude of Gratitude. The Bible background is from Leviticus chapters 13 through 14. And then we skip over to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, chapter 17, verses 19, 11 through 19. And our printed text in the lesson is Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. And then we skip over to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. So as Christians, are we modeling a lifestyle of gratitude or just business as usual? People often receive mercy, but do not acknowledge the one who helped them. God has done so much for us and gratitude is the best response. So what are you thankful for right now? In this week's lesson, we will discover the lost art of gratitude. In this lesson, it includes two different passages, one from Leviticus and the other from the Gospel of Luke. So that section from Leviticus gives us some context to the section in Luke. So according to the law of Moses, anyone who had leprosy was considered unclean. If the disease didn't go away from washing with water in a quarantine period, it was considered to be lasting and the person with the leprosy was banished from the community to a lifetime of shame and isolation. The skin of those who were thought to have leprosy, they had a scaly appearance that was described as being white as snow. So medically speaking, the symptoms of this disease described in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 are not those of the disease known today as leprosy or more accurately called Hansen's disease, which is now curable. But leprosy in the Bible was something much worse. So now we come to our Bible lesson, uh, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, and they read as follows. If you have ever had leprosy, you must tear your clothes, leave your hair uncombed, cover the lower part of your face and go around shouting, I'm unclean, I am unclean. As long as you have the disease, you are unclean and must live alone outside the camp. So life for leprosy in ancient times was extremely or uh, pretty much unpleasant. And so first, there was disease itself to deal with. And second, there was the isolation. So a person who had discovered what looked like leprosy in their skin was to go and show themselves to the priest who would then take the person through a number of rituals. And if the priest declares that the person was leprosy, he pronounces them to be ceremonially unclean. Once the priest declares the person is unclean, he or she has to do four things. First, the leper must tear his clothes, which was also a sign of mourning. Second, his head could not be covered. Third, the leper must cover the lower part of his face. And then finally, whenever the leper was about to come near anyone, they had to announce their coming by shouting out the words, unclean, unclean, so that person would avoid any contact with them. Since most skin diseases in the Bible were considered to be leprosy, some people with different skin diseases could be declared clean by the priest. And that's um, noted in Leviticus chapter 13, verses one through six. But after being quarantined for seven days, 
Um, but as long as a person suffered from the plague or what they thought was leprosy, they were considered to be defiled or ceremonially unclean. The person who the priest declared to be leprous was to live alone, associating with only those that were lepers like him. So now our lesson skips over into Luke chapter 17, and I'll read verses 11 through 13. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus went along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men with leprosy came toward him. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, master, have pity on us. So now at this point, the majority of this lesson comes from Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. So Jesus' route began in Galilee and moved south through the region of Samaria, which was the shortest route to Jerusalem from Galilee. And as Jesus reached the edge of a village, he come across the band of 10 men who had leprosy and lived banished lives, and they were ready to meet Jesus at this point. So the 10 lepers stood off from Jesus, um, and we're, we're kind of very familiar with uh, the, the practice of social distancing at this point in our, in our lives today. So I'm sure many of us can relate. So these 10 lepers stood off from Jesus, and because of the need to control the spread of a disease for which there was no cure, the law required that a leper was to be isolated from the rest of society. And since these lepers had to remain at a distance due to their disease in order for Jesus to hear them, they had to speak really loud. So they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So they're yelling at this point. And these 10 lepers, they're crying out, they're loud um, and they want to be heard. So they're wanting Jesus to provide them with some compassion. And so the underlying idea of compassion at this uh, of compassion is that love reaches out to meet a person without considering the merit or worthiness of that person who receives the help. So compassion is blind. They don't care. It doesn't care what you look like. It doesn't care uh, who you are associated with. It is blind. It is reaching out and helping. And so in verse 13, the lepers recognized Jesus and called him master. So they knew who he was and they knew that they had a measure of faith in him because they called him master. And now we get to verse 14 where it reads, Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. On their way, they were healed. So Jesus, his immediate response was not to heal the man at that point, but to command an act that required faith. So he instructed them to seek certification by the priest. And remember, um, we, that's what that's why Leviticus, uh, those passages from Leviticus came in. So it gives us that segue into what we're talking about in uh, in the book of Luke. So Jesus instructed them to seek certification by a priest before they were healed. And he spoke this as though they had already been healed. This, uh, this has already been accomplished. So we assume that the fact that they were cleansed means that all visible and invisible indicators of the illness had disappeared. And the men are now able to reclaim their lives and their obedience that it led to their healing. And so many of us have to realize that obedience is better than sacrifice. So now we're here with chapter uh, chapter 17, verses 15 
through 19. When one of them discovered that he was healed, he came back shouting praises to God. He bowed down at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. The man was from the country of Samaria. Jesus asked, weren't 10 men healed? Where are the other nine? Why has this foreigner the only why was this foreigner the only one who came back to thank God? Then Jesus told the man, You may get up and go, your faith has made you well. As you see, one man's heart drove him to respond in ways that are not attributed to the other nine. This one man delayed his trip to the priest and came back to Jesus. He wanted to show his gratitude. So in his loud voice, he praised God. And can you imagine what his praise looked like when he was healed? He saw he was healed and he's given his gratitude. So then the man threw himself down at Jesus' feet, which was an extreme posture of submission. So the man's mourning for his shameful state was transformed into spontaneous praise for the one who brought God's healing to him as he thanked Jesus. All of this was the man's instinctive reaction to having been shown mercy. So this last part of verse 16 mentions that the man was a Samaritan. And of all people, a Samaritan returned to Jesus, a non-Jew, before seeing a priest. This lets us know that God's mercy extends beyond boundaries, as will the message of the gospel. This not You can't put God in a box. So in verse 17 and 18, Jesus's questions are rhetorical. So they're not expected to be answered literally, but rather meant to grab the attention of those within earshot. So remember, Jesus is traveling, he has people around him, um, and I'm sure there's a crowd of some sort. So he's speaking loud enough, saying these, asking these questions, So because he wanted somebody, the other crowd members, to hear what he was saying to the former leper. And these questions are about self-reflections. Jesus' questions should serve the same function today. Why did one of the 10 pause to praise God and thank God? When we are blessed, are we more like that one or are we more like the other nine? You know, we have to ask ourselves those questions. So here, Jesus' healing miracles they always function to serve a larger purpose. They're more than just merely being nice to somebody. These miracles serve as teaching opportunities. So the non-Jew, who we know is a foreigner, has come back to praise God. And now at this point, Jesus is scolding the Jews who, of all people, should have accepted him and his missions. In the end, our relationship with God is demonstrated by our faith, not by ancestral or family connections. So after the rhetorical questions have been asked for everybody to hear, Jesus turned to the Samaritan to dress him personally. All the men were healed by faith, but only the single Samaritan received the affirmation, your faith has made you well. This man is whole, not just his healing physically, but his healing spiritually. So meaning that the man, he's trusting God for something. And because of his act of obedience, it pleased God. And by God's power, the leprosy was vanished. 
So we have to keep in mind here that we have to be obedient. Our obedience provides healing. And also at the same time, through our healing, we have to show gratitude. Perhaps you have been treated as an outcast because of characteristic others deemed undesirable. Many have been discriminated against because of a condition beyond their control. We know Jesus lovingly ministered to people on the outskirts of society. Life doesn't get much worse than the fate of a person with leprosy in Jesus' day. They are excluded from the community, required to be self-degrading in word and appearance, and destined to live with a slowly fatal painful disease. It was a living death. And in our lesson, we see that a heart of thankfulness survived in the Samaritan leper. He remains a worthy example of the biblical way to worship. He overcame the urgencies of his life and he stopped. He turned around and looked at Jesus without being distracted. This former leper overcame tunnel vision of what's next to adopt a worshipful posture. He gave thanks to the one who healed him, claiming no credit for himself. Now we know that God does not need our thanks, but he created us as beings who need to give thanks. The thankful life, the unthankful life can become bitter and cold, but a thankful heart will find peace and purpose in all circumstances. One takeaway from this lesson is that nothing should prevent us from giving praise and thanks to God. Don't let your own selfishness and stubborn hearts get in the way. Ask God for mercy and give praise and thanks when it arrives. Let's worship God without distraction. This is Takia Evans. Be blessed. Take care of one another. And thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School. And I'll talk to you next week. Happy New Year, and it's a, it's so wonderful to be back after a long, unplanned break. I have missed sharing Sunday school lessons, and I'm so ready to just dive back in. I am Takia Evans, your host, and welcome back. Or if it's your first time, welcome to Out of the Box Sunday School. And as always, thanks for taking the time to listen in today, and our lesson is entitled Justice, Vengeance, and Mercy. The background lesson is from Genesis chapter 4. The printed text in the lesson is Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We live in a society that thrives on categorizing people. We want to know who's smart, who's popular, who's successful, who's athletic, who's musical, who's talented, all of those labels. These labels are supposed to help us categorize things. But when it comes to our kids, labeling, whether it's intentional, or unintentional, dramatically increases the competition between siblings. So let's think about it. When we talk about our athletic one, the good eater, the smart one, or even our wild child, we inadvertently draw comparisons between our kids. When we refer to one child as the athletic one, the other child automatically thinks, well, I'm not that athletic, so why do I even try? Or when one child is a good eater, the other assumes she may not be. Now, I'm not sure if this was the case within our lesson today with Cain and Abel, but we know that things did not work out well between the two of them. Talk about sibling robbery. 
This example shows us what happens when evil takes root in a brother's heart. In today's lesson, it focuses on the first human family. The sin of Adam and Eve was followed by God's curse. The couple experienced a twofold separation. They were separated geographically from the garden and spiritually from God. So here we have Adam and Eve who had lived happily in innocence and fellowship with God in the garden. After they sinned, they felt guilty and sought relief by placing the blame on others. So then God cursed the serpent for the part he played in this whole situation and pronounced sorrow and pain and childbirth on Eve, cursed the ground and declared that Adam would have to till the ground and sweat in order to provide food for his family. So here in Genesis chapter 3 verses 20 through 21, we have Adam naming his wife Eve and God making them coats of skin to replace the fig leaves they used to hide their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3 ends with Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden and God provided cherubims and a flaming sword to prevent anyone from entering the garden. Our lesson today begins with chapter 4.